We often hear people say, seeing is believing. But God teaches us that believing is seeing. It's the exact opposite. The story is told of a couple who were hosting a missionary family one night. When the missionary children were called in from playing, were called in to dinner, their mother said, be sure to wash your hands and kill all those germs. The little boy scowled and said, germs and Jesus, germs and Jesus. That's all I hear, and I've never seen either one of them. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 this morning, where we pick up describes faith as the certainty of matters not seen. We see with the eyes of faith what we cannot see with the eyes of doubt. Hebrews 11 is this great faith chapter. And verses 1 through 3, which we're looking at this morning, are simply the introduction to this whole theme of faith and living by faith. The essence of faith is spiritual vision. It is seeing the unseen. We see God's roadmap for the future by faith. In essence, believing is seeing. So, first of all this morning, first principle, faith is the only way to live with confidence. Verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, the author writes. I like the Tyndale translation of this very familiar verse. Most of us have heard it many times before. And with a little adaptation to the Tyndale version or translation, I like to translate it this way. Now faith is the sure confidence of the things being expected the certainty of matters not currently being seen. Faith is all about what we don't have now and what we will have later. Verse 1 is not really a definition of faith. Sometimes people say it's a definition of faith, but it's really not a definition of faith. It is, however, a description of, the two, of two essential components or elements to faith. There are two elements, two components of faith that are being described here. First of all, faith is the sure confidence of things being expected. And secondly, the certainty of matters not being seen. So let's kind of unpack these two elements of faith this morning to help us understand what true faith is all about. Faith then, first of all, is the sure confidence of the things being expected. The word translated assurance or confidence in the New American Standard is translated, if you have a King James Version, it's translated substance in the King James Version. And there are two basic meanings of this Greek word one objective meaning and one subjective meaning. The objective sense of the word is substance or substantial nature or essential reality of something. And the author of Hebrews used this very Greek word back in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 4 where Jesus Christ is described as the exact representation of God's actual substance 
our word here, God's essential nature. And many of the early church fathers, as they looked at this passage in Hebrews chapter 11, used that meaning for this section in Hebrews 11. So, faith is the actual substance or reality of what is yet future, is the way they understood it. So, in other words, you experience the reality of the future in the present by faith. Now, I'm not convinced that's really what the author of Hebrews was trying to get at here in this chapter. Faith certainly expresses a vision for the future. But the examples that he's going to use, for example, Abraham did not actually experience the substance or reality of that vision in his present. He never actually saw the reality of what he believed. So he never actually experienced the reality or substantial nature or essence of what he believed in his day. So I think it's probably better, and I think the author of Hebrews intended us to understand it in the subjective sense of the, of the word, and he has used it that way before. If you turn back to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 14, he uses this Greek word there. He says, for we have become partakers of Christ, verse 14, if we hold fast the beginning of our Assurance, there's the same Greek word, firm until the end. Our confidence, our sure confidence. Here the word clearly means our assurance, our confidence that the future will bring what we expect. And this is our subjective experience in life. And it certainly was true for Abraham and Moses and all of the heroes of the, of the faith that we will look at in this chapter. Faith expresses a vision for the future. And while we won't necessarily see that vision come to actual fulfillment in our lifetime, we may, but we may not. In most cases, we will not. We have the sure confidence that the roadmap that God has laid out for the future will come to pass one day. The word refers to a frame of mind that controls how we act and what controls our choices, the choices that we make. And that's what the Old Testament saints experienced in their day, certainly. They had a frame of mind that they could truly see what God was going to do one day, and they could expect that he would do that, and their frame of mind was built around all of that, so that it influenced the choices they made in their everyday lives. And that's Hebrews 11 in a nutshell. We have a sure confidence regarding the future because we live by faith in God's roadmap for that future. The word was used in the business literature of the first century to refer to a title deed for property. So faith is the title deed for God's promises, for God's future. We have a sense of confidence that we own the future because God has given us the title deed to that future. And because we have that title deed, we can be confident. So faith expresses a vision for the future 
because it relates to hope. It is the sure confidence of things hoped for, he says. Now, this hope is not wishful thinking, which is why I prefer to translate it with the word expectation or expected. The word means to look forward to something in the future in view of the measures we take in the present to ensure that fulfillment. It means to expect something to happen, not just wish for it to happen. So faith expresses a vision for the future that we expect to happen because God has said it would happen. All right, faith is also the certainty of matters not currently being seen. The words were used in a legal context in the first century. The word certainty was used of actual legal proof in a court of law, and the word for matters was used for lawsuits in the first century. So faith, while it's not the the proof that settles the lawsuit, it is the subjective confidence we feel when we know the lawsuit has been settled. You know, if you go into a court of law, the lawsuit's already been settled, you know what the outcome's going to be, then you have a settled confidence in the outcome. We may not see the results yet, but we have this sense of certainty regarding the outcome, and that comes from trusting God, the faithful one, as Sharon and Sarah sang this morning. Because we trust him as the faithful one, we have this sense of certainty that the outcome is already fixed. So faith expresses this sense of certainty regarding the matters that are not currently being seen, he says. We cannot certainly, we cannot uh, currently see the results, but we feel certain about them. It is our conviction that we cannot now see that what we cannot now see will actually happen. Our physical eyes see things that give us a sense of certainty in life, just so the eyes of faith give us the sense of certainty in God's kingdom living. Now, Look down to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 27 this morning. Hebrews eleven twenty-seven, Because as we continue this theme of, of faith in this chapter, we get down here to, to Moses' example. And he says, by faith, that is Moses, by faith, left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured, and we're going to talk a lot about enduring faith, Right? He endured as seeing him who is unseen. That's faith. We can see the future by faith because we see the one who holds that future. The faithful one. This is the essence of living by faith. Now, where we cannot see. Augustine once said, Faith is to believe what we do not see, and the reward of this faith is to see what we believe. You know, I pity those who see life only through their physical eyes. Do you know people like that? They see life only through their physical eyes. They pride themselves that they will believe only what they can see with their physical eyes hear with their physical ears, feel with their physical fingers. That's all there is to life. 
I pity those people. There is a whole realm of life that can only be seen with the eyes of faith. No one can see the future with their physical eyes. You can only see the future with the eyes of faith in God. In his book, Beyond Jabez, Bruce Wilkinson shares the story of an old African woman who demonstrated faith in God's power to provide. She lived in a tiny mud hut, and though she didn't have much in terms of this world's goods, material possessions, she had actually taken in 56 orphans. 56 orphans were now living in this tiny mud hut. A small group of Wilkinson's Dream for Africa volunteers had arrived in this grandmother's native Swaziland to plant and help people plant gardens to provide for themselves. On the final day of their visit in Swaziland, they came to her tiny little mud hut. And when they arrived at her tiny little mud hut, they realized that a number of little gardens had been dug up all around the hut. There were all these little gardens dug, but there were no plants in any of the gardens. The volunteers learned from talking to the children and to the grandmother that earlier on that same day, the woman had told the children to go out and dig all of these lots, all of these garden plots. And when the children asked her why, since they didn't have seeds, they didn't have plants, and they didn't have money, she responded, Last night, I asked God to send someone to plant gardens for us. We must be ready for them when they come. Hmm. Wilkinson's volunteers had arrived that day with hundreds of ready-to-plant seedlings. And the garden was all ready for them as of that morning. God sent them to the very place where one of his choice servants in this world had begged for him to intervene and provide at just the right time. The faithful grandmother and her children were ready when the answer came because, what? She saw the answer... Before it came. And that's what faith is. How about you in your life? Can you see God's answers before they come? Only by faith. Only by faith. And are you ready for God's answers? Faith is the only way to live with confidence. Secondly, faith is the only way... To win God's approval. There we go. Verse 2. For by it, that is by faith, the men of old gained approval. Do you want to enjoy the smile of God's approval in your life? His pleasure in who you are and what you do? You can have his approval only by faith. We cannot earn it. We cannot pay for it. 
We enjoy God's approval by faith. So the currency of faith is the currency of God's kingdom. And the rest of chapter 11 is a roll call then of saints who live by faith. These are the heroes of the Bible. And it is all about the heroes of the Bible. And we will look at Abel, who was murdered, and Enoch, who never died. But as far as we know, he never did anything for the Lord either except trust him. We will talk about Noah and Abraham and Moses and all, all of whom followed the Lord by faith. Many heroes in this chapter will go unnamed. And many were, quite frankly, far from perfect in life. They may not have had much to show for their lives in the end. But there's one common denominator of all of these heroes. And it is faith. It is faith. They believed in God's roadmap for the future. And they acted on that faith with their faithfulness. So they had that kind of staying power based upon their faith. They stuck it out with God through failure and suffering and struggle and sickness and persecution and, and failure. They believed in God's roadmap for the future. We live in a performance-oriented world, don't we? Approval comes because of our accomplishments, because of our achievements. That's the way the world operates. The heroes of this world, for many people, are, are sports figures, right? And movie stars. Nearly, you may, may have seen the news, uh, nearly 500 people turned out at Cinemagic in Saco on Thursday of this past week for the Maine Today Media's A Dash of Diva series. Tickets sold out in nine days. It's all about the program Sex in the City, I think is the name of it. But people were flocking. This is success in our world. And sports figures winning championships, that's success. For others, success is measured in terms of money. You are successful if you make a lot of money. You are successful if you have a great career and you have major positions in corporations and you are successful if you can buy lots of things or hold major positions. Well, you know what, even in church... We tend to measure success with the eyes of this life, don't we? Mega church pastors are successful. But the little church pastor, he must not be successful. Successful Christians are those who lead successful ministries, or give lots of money, or hold positions of prestige in churches or have successful programs in a church that, does, that do lots of things. Our, our sense of approval, our sense of significance, our sense of success, even as Christians, oftentimes comes from our achievements in life. But it's a warped viewpoint, isn't it? 
Not so with God, my friends. Success is not measured by our achievements, but by our faithfulness. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2, that one be found trustworthy, faithful. Everything we have, everything we own, everything we are, everything we achieve is by God's grace. He gives it to us. We are stewards of what he gives to us. That is, he entrusts it to us to use. There's no reason to be proud of what we have, for God could take it away like that. He gives it to us to be stewards, because he wants us to use it for him. And a steward, the one thing that is required of a steward, stewards are just servants, right? The one thing that's required of a steward is a steward be trustworthy, be faithful with what the master gives to him. And that's what God requires of us. He calls some people and he gifts some people to build large ministries and handle lots of money. But he also calls others to live with the pain of sickness and the struggle of personal limitations and even failure. The real hero is someone who handles it all with the faithfulness that comes by faith. Even the world understands that principle whenever they stop long enough to think about it. That's why we celebrate Memorial Day, really, isn't it? It's not just the successful who are honored on Memorial Day. It's not just the ones who win glorious victories in battle who deserve honor. We honor those who have died for our country. Men like Waterville native Wade Slack, whose funeral was held May 16th, very recently, because he gave his life serving his country in Afghanistan. And we honor him. He was faithful and so deserves honor. Not for his accomplishments, but for his faithfulness to his country. He believed in his country enough to die for his country. Well, God honors us for our faithfulness. We believe in God enough to serve God, no matter what he calls us to do in life, even if it means suffering, even if it means struggle, even if it means death. That's faithfulness. The real heroes of faith are men and women, like many in our own congregation here, who face the struggles of this life, trusting God the faithful one to get them through. Trusting God's roadmap for the future. Those are the real heroes of the faith. Many of you right here. You are faithful to God in sickness. You are faithful to God in suffering. You are faithful to God in job loss. You are faithful to God in the struggles of this life. Because you have faith in God for eternity. 
We look at the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and we think of these great names that are associated with all kinds of things in Old Testament history, but they were ordinary people who struggled with difficult things and yet stayed faithful to God. And those are heroes of the faith. And you and I are ordinary people who are called to be faithful to him who is faithful to us. Richard and Geneva owned a 200-acre almond farm in northern California. But years of bad weather, small harvests, had left them deeply in debt. Richard had taken an additional job as a ranch foreman in order to make ends meet, in order to pay the bills and take care of his family. They had taken out additional loans in order to cover their farming needs and spent many a sleepless night struggling to find a way to pay all of their mounting expenses. One day, Geneva brought the bad news. The farm credit company was foreclosing and selling their precious farm off to pay all of the debts. There was nothing they could do. It was over. Everything they had worked a lifetime to establish was gone by someone else's decision. CEO and a company and the bottom line. Even the crop they had invested in that year would go to the buyer and they would get nothing. Richard was 50 years old. Farming was all he had ever done in his life. They had no money to start over. Two of their eight children were still living at home. And it got worse. Two weeks after they lost the family farm, Richard was laid off from his foreman job at the ranch. They took any job that they could find, but it was hard to pay off the $100,000 of debt they still owed after all their assets were seized in the foreclosure, and they had nothing to pay it. Some weeks they didn't have enough money for groceries, but God always provided through family, through friends, and through their church. Finally, a year and a half later, God gave them a new start. They were offered a management position at an exclusive 2,600-acre waterfowl hunting club in Northern California. The club catered to very wealthy clients. And as they worked in that club, and as they watched these very wealthy people, and how unhappy they were with everything they had, they realized that money and possessions didn't buy the happiness they wanted anyway. Because they realized that they had a joy that came from the Lord that transcended their circumstances. And they were not bitter. They realized they had something these very wealthy clients did not have. They'd lost everything but still had that joy in the Lord. After about a year of working at this hunting club, Richard received a call from the head of the credit, farm credit company that had foreclosed on their property, the CEO. He wanted to talk, and he insisted on coming all the way to the hunting club to talk in person with Richard in Geneva. And he said, I want to ask you something personal. A friend of mine recently lost everything he owned, just like you. His wife just committed suicide. 
we at the office have noticed that the two of you are handling this crisis differently than most people. Can you tell me what your secret is? Richard was happy to explain the secret to this successful businessman. He said, we believe in the God of the Bible. He is sovereign over all our lives. And he is in control. And even though the pain is real, we are confident of this. God has proven sufficient and able to take care of us. Geneva added, God's word promises, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And it was true. Throughout the entire ordeal, they never felt alone. They always knew the Lord was with them. Later, as the head of the credit company rose to leave, he thanked them. You've given me a lot to think about. He said quietly, you've given me a lot to think about. Faith. Those are heroes of the faith. Third principle this morning. Faith is the only way to understand our universe. Faith is the only way to live with confidence. Faith is the only way to win God's approval. And faith is the only way to understand our universe. Look at verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were created by the word of God, so that what, what is seen was not made out of things which are visible, things that are seen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible starts with those words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible says, take it on faith. It's just a flat-out assertion. No proof, no nothing, just faith. You've got to believe it. By faith, we're told here in verse 3, we comprehend, that's a mental term, we understand that the universe was made by the word of God. That's a faith assertion. Sometimes people say that the Bible doesn't talk about how God created the universe, just that he created. That is simply not true. The Bible says repeatedly how God created the universe. It says it right here in this verse. How did he create the, wor- the universe? He created it by the word of his mouth. He spoke it into existence. That is how he created the universe. The result of what God spoke into existence is that what we see came into being from what was not seen. God didn't make this universe out of previously existing material that anyone could observe. God made this universe out of nothing. The term is ex nihilo, out of nothing. Nothing that could be seen, examined, touched. There was nothing. Nothing is nothing. God created all of this out of nothing. Now, we understand that concept. Now, we understand that concept only by faith. It's the only way to understand that concept. You can't understand it any other way. The origin of the universe... I'm going to make this assertion. The origin of the universe is outside the scope of science because science deals with observable realities and no one was there to observe something coming into existence out of nothing except God. It is simply an unrepeatable reality. Nobody can go back and repeat that reality. 
after discovering how to make humans, according to this story, (laughs) two scientists challenged God to a contest. We don't need you anymore, they said. We can make life by ourselves. Okay, God replied, let's have a man-making contest. All right, said the scientists, we'll do it like you did it in the beginning. They reached down to grab a handful of dirt to begin to form a man. And then they heard God say, hold it, get your own dirt. (laughs) Start from nothing. I started from nothing. That's the crux of the matter, isn't it? No one can go back to a time when nothing existed to see how something came into existence. Every scientist has to work with what is, not what wasn't. Science can hypothesize about origins and processes, but only God was there to know what happened. And God says, he spoke it into existence. We understand that only by faith. We take that word on faith. God made what we see out of what was not seen. God created something out of nothing. And that is a statement of faith, pure and simple. There aren't many people who are fond of flies. Anybody here like flies? I don't. Most of us probably wonder why God even made them in the first place. But think about the creative genius that is a fly. According to British scientists, the fly is the most talented aerodynamicist on the planet, superior to any bird, bat, or bee. A housefly can make six turns a second, hover, fly straight up, fly straight down, fly backwards, do somersaults, land on the ceiling, and perform various other show-off maneuvers. And it has the brain smaller than a sesame seed. What can you do with your brain? The scientists also note that flies are loaded with sensors. In addition to their compound eyes, which permit panoramic imagery and are excellent at detecting motion, they have wind-sensitive hairs and antenna. They also have three light sensors called oscilli on the tops of their heads, which tell them which way is up. Roughly two-thirds of a fly's entire nervous system is devoted to processing visual images. If God put so much wisdom into ordinary houseflies, imagine what it means to know that you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. Flies are miracles of God's creation. Pests, too, but miracles of God's creation. And faith is the only way to understand that kind of creative genius. Who else could come up with the concept of a fly? Yet this faith in God's creative genius is merely an illustration here. That's all it is. An illustration 
of the principle of faith that undergirds our lives. Believing in God is seeing God in all he makes and trusting God for what we cannot see. Remember, God does greater miracles than the miracles of creation. The philosopher Soren Kierkegaard wrote, God creates out of nothing. Wonderful, you say. Yes, to be sure. But he does what is still more wonderful. He makes saints out of sinners. (laughs) Wow. You are miracles of God's creation that transcend the fly. (laughs) Aren't you glad? That transcend the things of this world. The fact that he reaches down and saves us in our sinfulness. He gives us purpose. He gives us meaning in life that transcends this visible universe. That's a fact of faith. And the faith factor changes how we live our lives. And that's Hebrews 11. It's supposed to change how we, the choices we make, how we live. We can now see the unseen through the eyes of faith. Fanny Crosby lived many, many years ago now, went to be with the Lord, and she wrote many of the hymns we still sing in our hymnals, great hymns of the faith. Most of you probably know Fanny Crosby was blind. Instead of wallowing in self-pity, Fanny Crosby wrote hymns like, I am thine, O Lord, Jesus is tenderly calling, to God be the glory, Blessed assurance. When Fanny Crosby was old, somebody told her that if she had been born in that day, that an operation could have restored her sight because science had made such great progress and that if she had been born in that day, she could have had her sight restored. Instead of being bitter, she said these words, I don't know that I would change anything. Do you know that the first thing I'm ever going to see is the face of Jesus? Now that is faith, and it is seeing by faith. How about us? Father, teach us that believing is seeing. And that faith is trusting you, the faithful one, for your roadmap for our future. And that we can see by faith what we will one day enjoy forever because of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.